Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Seth, one of the hosts here at Engage Podcast. Just want to drop a little uh, note before you listen to today's episode. Uh, as you probably can tell from the title, this is me and Pastor Anthony's very first podcast we ever recorded, not just together, but in the history of our lives. And you probably could guess that by the audio quality and the background noises that you hear and all that jazz. I just want to say, uh, please be patient with us. We are all a work in progress, and that even includes how we operate and record podcasts. So I promise over time it will get better. Um, But what we talk about today in the podcast is, I think, um, extremely good, very thought-provoking, and well worth your time to hear and engage with us. So now that I've given you that, please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Open your mind and engage with us as we dive into our very first episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. guys, average everyday guys, discussing biblical themes, just answering questions, just having a conversation. I'm one of your hosts, Seth Walters. This is your other host, Anthony Cloditis. And uh, to give you a bit of a, I guess, backstory as to what this is, is me and Anthony, who's my pastor, Faith Presbyterian Church, we just decided we wanted to have a podcast where we can discuss pretty much anything and kind of related back to the Bible um, because I think that's something that's very important for Christians is to wrestle with just everyday things and then kind of bring it back to the Bible. Um, I've known Anthony for well over 10 years and started out with going to his youth group when I moved to Newcastle and then we went to a Bible study called Engage Bible Study which is how we got this name and it was kind of the exact same idea which was taking everyday hot topics and conversations and then bringing it back to the Bible and I loved it and it's I was saddened to see it end when uh, Anthony got called to the church which is where we are now Faith Presbyterian Church and so uh, yeah so that's kind of this is a way to continue on that amazing that amazing uh, chemistry and I think it was a great idea um So, do you want to share a little bit about yourself, Mr. Anthony, before we go on to our first? Yeah. So, I've been working here at Faith Presbyterian Church. It'll be almost four years now. And as Seth mentioned, I I led a Bible study called Engage Bible Study that was um, pretty unique in the Newcastle area where I was the associate pastor at Northminster Pres for about 15 years. And the whole concept behind that was... Um, I believed I needed to create a space for people to come and grow and to be engaged. And, um, you know, it's funny because when I first started it and promoted it in the community, one of the major questions that I got from people was, is do I need to be engaged as in engaged to be married to go to the Bible study? And, um, you know, looking back on that, it was, it's funny. 
uh, that they would ask that. But no, the, the point was, is it was it meant to be an engaging process. It was not a monologue. It was a dialogue. And that was created because I, I, I saw the need and the frustration in a lot of folks in churches that were not getting uh, the answers that they needed for the hard questions. And so I wanted to create a, a space where people could come and we could study uh, hot topics, different issues that perhaps churches either would not cover, or if they did cover, they were giving uh, spoon-fed answers. And I thought that we were doing a disservice to folks. So we went ahead and launched two studies. We did one on a uh, Monday night and one on a Thursday. One was at the actual church, and the other was at the local YMCA in, in the downtown area. And um, In Newcastle. And that's right, in, in Newcastle. And so both were, uh, I, I would say, successful in that a lot of people attended. And it was also successful in the theme in that uh, people were hungry for what I was offering. And, um, you know, looking back on that, it was a very fruitful time. I know that it was a lot of work for me, but it was a, it was a labor of love. I enjoyed uh, every single week doing those two studies. And uh, now we're, we're here today, and I haven't led an engaged Bible study because I'm the senior pastor at the Faith Presbyterian Church in Hermitage now, but the essence of it, the theme sort of lives on, and I think that's going to be what we're going to try to accomplish here, is to chew on topics that perhaps um, maybe others aren't willing to discuss, or maybe even have a different perspective from what others may have. And we're hoping that this is engaging and that the audience is listening and um, will even engage with us throughout the week. Cool. Yeah. Um, so the first, I'd say, idea was a post that I saw this past week that, I don't know, made me think. And that is a quote from Mr. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., not to be confused with the Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., um, who said, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. And uh, my first impression of that is, is I think of, uh, I, I think it's absolutely true. I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of Christians have, like devout Christians have, is that they're so focused on things of God and of heaven that they lose focus on practical ways to live out that faith on earth. Like, I, my immediate example of that is, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, A.W. Tozer, who is looked at as such a great pastor and a great theologian. But the reality was that he was a terrible husband and a terrible father because he would spend hours and hours and hours in his study while he let his wife just take care of the kids all by herself. And... In his own biography, his wife said that he was a great Christian and a great pastor, but he was a horrible father and a horrible husband because he was just so attached to the things of heaven that he didn't he didn't practically live it out in ways of being like a father and a husband. That's at least I, so. I I personally agree with that statement. I think that it's something that Christians can very easily fall into. I don't know. What do you think? I think. Um we may be a little bit harsh on Mr. Tozer. I don't know that much about him, but we're, I, I we do go think, way back. I, I do think the um, 
the first thing that stood out in my mind is hot off of the loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, the guy that wrote your quote, uh, Oliver Wonder, Wendell Holmes, reminds me too much of Patrick Mahomes. So before I heard the quote, it immediately it, it brought up a lot of frustration in me, reminding me of last week's Super Bowl loss to that Mahomesy character. But uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes has a, I think he has a great point. I think there's a lot of truth to that. The first scripture that I'm reminded of is when Paul writes and says that we are co-laborers with Christ. And, you know, if you want to see God move, then you move. And that's something that is so fundamental. You know, we're co-laborers. We're supposed to do this thing together. And God has ordained it where he's not going to show up unless we show up. And I think some, some church folk get that instinctively. They're just doers by nature. Um, but others are more, can take the sideline approach and want to see God show up to do things, but they don't really get involved. And, and that's just not the way God works. God gives his people um, gifts and talents, and he expects us to use those gifts and talents in order to impact the world around us and to see him move. And it's not odd if you think about it in that way. We're co-laborers. You know, God has his role, and we have ours, and he, a lot of times, he waits on us to actively get involved and engaged to do things. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I, like, so you're you're thinking of it in the way of being as like you're isolating yourself from working with other people and putting your gifts together. Is that what I'm hearing? What, say more. What does that mean? <laughs> you're, you're think, like, you say that we're we're we're, we're that we are working together. As far as we're, we're built for a community, we're built to work with with other people and put our gifts together, and we're not we're not to do the Christian life alone. But my thing is, uh, and at least this again, this is the thing that comes in mind when I hear that quote, is that um, sometimes as Christians we're so focused on God that we forget. Okay. God want, God has called me to be a husband. God has called me to be a father just as much as he's, he's, he's called me to share the gospel with, with other people. And it's very easy to, to I would say, uh, prioritize the, the things of God in the wrong way. And I think this is something that Ephesians draws to is the fact that as Christians, we are called to do a lot of things just as far as like how to run our households like that is as much of a call of god as it is for a missionary to go to a different country to to share the gospel i don't think but i think that a lot of problems with christians is that we don't think of it that way we think um uh, if god has put put a burden on my heart or I, i need to be so focused on god that nothing else matters but the reality is is that you focused on god should make everything else matter you see what i'm saying sure What's the what is, read the quote one more time? It says, um, "Some people are so earthly. I'm sorry. People are some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good." 
and again, I, I, when I, when I first hear that, I think of, I think of like a, a very devout, diehard Christian who is so obsessed with the things of God in reading his Bible and studying theology that he, it's not, he's not putting it in a practical level. He's not, he's not asking, okay, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better man? How can I be better at, at the office because of this? Because when, when it says that some people are so heavily minded, meaning their their head is is always in heaven, that they're they're not they're not present on the earth. They're not they're no of earthly good. I mean, sure, surely you've you've known people. Uh, I know people because my dad's a pastor, and I grew up with guys who were becoming pastors. That there there tends to be that thing where they're like they're. Um, they're so engrossed in the Bible and in their faith that it's it's almost like they're not practical in a lot of aspects of their lives. Yeah. Um, I hear what you're saying. I I don't like the idea of saying so engrossed in the Bible or, or the things of God. I, I see this as being more of a victim of bad teaching and poor theology. Right. Because... Um, to be engrossed in the things of God means you are worried about all of those things. Right. I, I think that, um, you know, you have your super spiritual type that likes to separate things um, in a way that's unnecessary. Right. And so, keep saying right. Right. <laughs> Stop saying right. Okay. Um. You know, we read in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And it's funny when you think about that verse because Paul is really not talking about anything that we would necessarily call spiritual, right? He says whether you eat or drink. I mean, that's, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner or having a coffee. Do all to the glory of God. And, you know, there's... What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You know, and that is in all things. So to your point, I think it's important not to separate our spiritual life into certain categories. Like, I'm going to read my Bible and go to church and pray, and then I'm going to go live the rest of my life. The challenge is, is our, our spirituality, our Christianity flows into every category. So, you know, when you're having dinner with your family, that's a spiritual event. And, you know, um, doing homework with your kids, that's a spiritual event because whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. So, yeah, I think that that quote has a lot of merit. I also think that 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 kind of mindset has done a lot of damage in the church um, and to our faith. Especially with unbelievers, they will, you know, look at the church and say, okay, you went to church for an hour on Sunday, but what about the rest of the week? Hmm. And unfortunately, that's, I think that's because there's been improper teaching on things like that, you know. So I think Holmesy has a good quote there and has a, has a lot to teach us. No, I, I, I'm a proponent of the fact that if you're in the Bible, the natural reaction is that you would 
have it funnel into every aspect of your life. Um, and I think it is a result of bad teaching and also just a misunderstanding too. And uh, I, to me, it, it's always dangerous to teach to teach the Bible or to teach the Christian life solely based off of what not to do <laughs> because it, it, it sounds very critical of other people and how they live their faith. But it's always – but, I mean, as D.L. Moody said, uh, out of 100 men, one of them is going to read the Bible. The other 99 are going to read the Christian. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, the only, the only Bible that they ever read is the Christian. So that's it, kind of why I guess – for me, I'm always very critical of how Christians act, because what I would love to see is I'd love to ha- I would love to see people in the public see devout Christians as the people who do read the Bible and have it funnel into every aspect of their lives, and not just the wacko nut jobs that we're, we tend to always get the attention. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I'm thinking of a, a personal example for me of. When I, like, so, I guess a bit of fun facts about me. Me, I I grew up in the church my whole life in a very traditional Lutheran church. um, And I I obviously saw a lot of importance in going to church. And, but it was like five years ago, right after I got married, that I kind of had this, like, spiritual awakening where I realized what the gospel really actually was that it wasn't that Jesus died on the cross and that you have to, as a Christian, you have to earn that sacrifice. You have to be a good person to earn what he did. The gospel really was Jesus lived the life I should have lived and he died the death I should have died. And now I am saved by his record from now until until death and I'm going to get to heaven because of what Jesus did. I don't have to earn it. And that started this whole, like, fire. And I just changed my whole outlook on the Bible, on the church, and all that. And one of the immediate things I I did was I was so gung-ho for God that I started to, like, uh, I, I started to, to see my job as I need, I need to quit my job working at Dunkin' Donuts as a manager because this isn't godly work. This is serving coffee. You know, I, I need to be a missionary. I need to do this. I need to do that. And, uh... I had a really, really, really good uh, – I still have a very good relationship with my father, and he was the one who was like, okay, dial it back a bit. Uh, you serving coffee to people, that's as much of a godly job and work as being a pastor of a church or being a theologian writing books on theology because – and he used the Martin Luther example of when people say the Lord's Prayer, they always say, give us this day our daily bread. Well – in a way, by you serving food to people, you're answering that prayer. You know, so he used the example of Luther when he said that even the girl milking the cow is one of the fingers of God. And so that was for me a way that I was like, oh, okay, so this isn't about, because I was under the impression that, oh, cool, I, 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 I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what God wants me to do. That means that I, it, you know, all of a sudden everything has to be a Christian job. Everything has to be this. And I, it, it almost became obsessed with it. And then luckily I had someone very wise say, okay, dial it back. That's not how it works. Um, that's not, you're, you're, you're misreading it. Um, do you have any, or do you have any personal examples of a time where you were so heavily minded or have you just been perfectly practical? 
I've always been perfect in practical <laughs> in this area. Um, how did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> but, however, I have worked with people that have fit this category to a T. Yeah. I, uh, I don't want to criminalize anyone, but, you know, I've, I've worked with folks that have been so ultra-spiritual <laughs> um, that they really end up hurting the folks around them. I know that they did a lot of damage, and they did a lot of damage to me as a young pastor. Um, I know I would get scolded. Um, uh, I played on the church softball team, and um, I would go out, and you know, I was right out of college, and I'd have a lot of fun in a good way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd get called in the office the next day and, and belittled because I would round third base and go around and slap high fives with the team before I got to home plate. Um, you know, saying, you know, you, you need, you know, so much. You need attention. Um, it shouldn't be about you. It should be about Christ. And, oh, what are that? Okay. And, you know, and I would be just flabbergasted uh, and, and try to work on myself like, yeah, you know, maybe there was something wrong with with trying to make other people laugh or have fun. And, and it took me a while because this person was influential for me to w- work through that to say, that's not my problem, that's their problem. Hmm. You know, and again, I just, that's your quote. They're so heavenly minded. It's like your head are, are in the clouds, but your feet aren't on the ground. You know, um, it's a dangerous place to be because you become super perfect. And everything, you know, you don't have your feelings hurt because your identity is so wrapped up in Christ. Well, that that's just not real life, and that does a disservice to everybody else around you, right? It makes you always feel inadequate and inferior because, oh man, if I was just like that guy or that girl, that their identity is so wrapped up in Jesus Christ that they're not affected yeah. by moods or criticism or really anything, and it's like. Um, need to be very careful of that. But I, I will say honestly, I mean, no one's perfect, but I've never really jumped in. I've never really been that kind of person. Um, and I'm glad I haven't. But I do think of a quote. I'm reminded of a cool quote by uh, Bono from U2. He, he said something on the lines of there's... Um, he was talking about music. And he said there's... Christian music, and then there's music that is Christian. And he said, U2 is a band that writes music that is Christian, not Christian music. Mm. I remember being like, what in the world kind of riddle is that? I didn't know Bono was Dr. Seuss's son. (laughs) But it makes a lot of sense. You know, you listen to U2's music, and some of it is not explicitly Christian. Right. Um, It's not Christian music. It's music that is Christian. It's, It's music that's coming from a place where they're experiencing life. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it reminds me more of the Psalms, mm-hmm. where people are real and honest, where in one Psalm you have someone praising God, and then in the very next chapter you have someone you know, questioning God. Or in one chapter you have someone whose life is just on cloud nine, and in the next chapter you have someone whose life is in the pits. And I like that approach much more um, because I, I think it fits with, with real life um, and, and what God has called us to be and do 
um, than the other stuff. I think it's just starting with the wrong idea to yeah. write Christian music. You know, I, 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 I turn that on and so much of what I hear is um, it's just glossy, almost fake uh, Christianity. And I'm not going to say that for everything. And for everyone, there's a lot of good Christian music. But, you know, when every song is, you know, um, everything's so great in my life and, you know, I'm so wrapped up in Jesus, it's just like, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of country music a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm not a fan of country music. It's Neither just, you know, you, you start off with this idea that there's got to be a cowboy and whiskey and a gun and a song. A so, truck. You, you, you got you to have a truck a, in there and, and the truck. And so now, <laughs> um, and now once I start with that, then every song has to flow from that. And most people are good with that. And I'm just not. I just I feel there's a phoniness to it. So yeah, if you you're just, out there and you're a country music fan, oh, well. I'll find a different podcast. Uh, no, I, I, I always laugh at just like how every country music song, they have to reference a truck. And a girl in a red sundress. They have to. And then the same thing goes for Christian music. If it's a song about like struggling, you have to have some sort of drowning, uh, uh, drowning like, metaphor. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, right. You have to, or walking in a desert, like, or the famous footprints analogy, like yeah. where, where I carried you. Like they, they have to throw those in there, otherwise. It's not, but anyways, going back to well, hold on. Didn't John Christ do a really funny? He did. YouTube he did. Skit? I was trying to think of who did that skit, I, but yeah, he did. It was talking about like the fo- the, the just the, how the, the corniness of Christian music, and um, no, I, I actually I, I I fully agree, and I, I got the same thing from I went to Creation Fest, which is a Christian music festival. Uh, it's like the Woodstock for Christian music. I, I was there one time, and I think I got a rash. A funny, funny, quick story is the first day we were there, all the youth kids, they all wore jeans, uh-huh. and it's like 90 degrees, and they yeah. all chafed real bad. Oh, man. And in the middle of the concert, the, the kids couldn't take it, so they went back. <laughs> And my brother thought he found uh, baby wipes, but they were Clorox wipes. Oh no! And they 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 tried to clean them themselves, and they 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 had a really bad chemical burn. All yeah, in that's their... not good, man. No. I mean, chafing already is painful enough. You got everyone walking around uh, <laughs> legged and <laughs> for four days they all look like John Wayne. Yeah, it's like, like you have to go to the so bathroom, bad. or so you have bad. a massive case of cha- chafing going on. <laughs> it was so bad, but. When we were there, though, the youth leaders got to meet a lot of the bands, and one of them was um, the band Skillet, and they're my favorite bands. It was really cool to get to meet the lead singer, um, John John Cooper, and someone asked the question to him, do you consider yourself a Christian band, or do you consider yourself to be a secular band who just happened to be Christian? And he didn't quote Bono, but he basically said that I, I believe that artists, no matter what they believe or who they are, their personal beliefs and their personal story is going to bleed into everything that they do. It's it's not force. It just it happens naturally, right? So Bruce Springsteen, which is your favorite guy, uh, who he is, what he believes, and his story is going to bleed into every song that he that he writes, which is why you like him so much. Because it was his story that you were drawn to, and then you hear it in the in the lyrics. So John Cooper's thing was, is he said, for a Christian, that's going to happen with no matter what type of music you're playing. 
if you write a Christian song, it's going to bleed into that, obviously. But if you just write a song about life, which is what a lot of their songs are about, um, whether good or bad, those Christian values, that faith is going to bleed into that. And he said, so that's my answer, is that we are musicians who write about life, and a lot of that happens to be Christian-minded. And I was like, I think that's why I like Skillet so much, because they do have the occasional worship song, but for the most part, it's a lot about, like, some of their songs just by the fact that life, life stinks, but we got God to get us through it. And to me, that's very practical. It's not, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm depressed, God get me out of it, or God help me get through it. And so, but I didn't know Bono was the one that originally said that. So, um... I'm surprised, we're, we're 27 minutes into this, and you have not used one Bruce Springsteen song or quote. So I gotta give it up to you. I, I, if, I, if, I, if I made a bet with someone, I would have lost. I would have thought it took us like 10 minutes before you threw out a Bruce Springsteen song or quote. Well, that was part of the unspoken rule of the Engaged podcast, that if, if that comes up, that we're going to never be able to recover. And you, you broke the, the rule. I did. I so did. I'm at Starbucks on Tuesday morning. I'm having a meeting there, and Starbucks is pretty, it's pretty tight in there. And I'm talking to some guy, and next to me is a fellow sitting there with his computer open and headphones on. And I had a, uh, a Niners jacket on from, from 1994, the last time he won the Super Bowl. And he mentions it because they just lost the Super Bowl. I haven't even talked about it with you since then. I'm still, I'm still upset. It's okay. So he mentions, oh, San Fran, they just lost. He said, you have a lot of courage to wear that. So I chatted with him a few seconds. And then um, I noticed on his computer, he, there was thousands of pictures he was looking through, and he told me he was a photographer. Um, so he, he starts showing me pictures of the bay that he took professionally. And in these thousands of pictures, in these little thumbnails, my eyes immediately go to a brown, beat-up guitar. Hmm. I said, zoom in on that one. And he clicked it, and it came up, and it was Springsteen's guitar. I said, why do you have a picture of Springsteen's guitar? And he gave me this weird look like, how did you even see that within, the, <laughs> within all of these pictures? And so it started off where I started asking him questions about that to where I said, could we get together sometime at Starbucks and swap stories and talk about Springsteen? And he was fine with that. And I brought up Bruce to him a few more times in the time that I was there and it went from him saying, sure, let's get together, to as he was putting his jacket on, him saying, you know what, I'm not in this area a lot. Maybe we can just email back and forth. Okay. So whatever he saw in my eyes as I spoke about Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> put enough caution in him for him to say, he said to himself, you know what, I think I'm just going to end up emailing this guy. Really, he lives down down on the street from Starbucks. He's 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 one of the managers. He's he's there. Every, he was there all the time. He went from let's get together to let's just keep this between email. <laughs> Great, now he has to find a new place to do his homework <laughs> or to do his business work because the crazy Bruce Springsteen guy. Now, I've had that. I've done that before. Not with Bruce Springsteen, but. First of all, it's not Springsteen, it's Springsteen, like the season. <laughs> okay. 
But let's get off the Bruce topic, or else we're never ever gonna okay, deviate. I say that weird. You say Mark Driscoll's name weird. You say Driscoll. Driscoll. It's yeah. It's my Italian Greek Newcastle accent. Oh, okay. So because you put ethnicity to it, it's 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 all right. But yes. going going back. Uh, oh man, how do we how do we recover from that? Uh, um, we were talking about Bono and Skillet. And Bruce Spring, Steen, Steen, Bruce Springsteen. Um, okay, so I, I, I guess this is a personal question I've been meaning to ask you. Um, what are your thoughts on? Because this kind of plays into this topic. Uh, there was a bit of controversy that I saw um, a church down in one of the Carolinas. South Carolina, North Carolina, East Carolina, whatever. Um, and the pastor went under flack because he was taking popular songs that you find on the radio and he was having his worship band change the words to make them Christian. And a lot of the people were kind of like giving him flack because these weren't they, these weren't typical Christian songs. And that's, I mean, like he was taking, I don't know, a, like a Lady Gaga song and was changing the words. And there was this huge debate on Facebook that I saw and a lot of people were... Com- and because you are a Presbyterian, I'm a Presbyterian now, uh, is that... Should music in church be strictly like hymn music, Christian music, or would you... Are you against... I guess I'm asking is, are you, are, are you against doing that where you're taking popular songs that a lot of people know, changing the words to make them sound Christian. Being the hymnologist that I am, and I'm well known for in the community, I I think that most hymns, or Phoenix. a lot of hymns that we sing in church, were at one time popular tunes in the society, and they took those tunes, lifted them, and added Christian lyrics to them. Um... So it sounds like this pastor was doing the same thing. Now, my first thought would be you need to be ultra careful because you mentioned Lady Gaga, and I'm not familiar with this, what he was doing. But, you know, if you're taking a song like Wind Beneath My Wings, that's a very positive, loving song that has really great connotations Mm -hmm. in people's mind. Versus taking a Lady Gaga song, who the singer herself is questionable, and in the song, lyrics themselves are questionable. I, I would say that maybe it's not a black and white right or wrong issue, but I'd say it's a wisdom issue. And as a pastor of a church, I personally would not do that. And then secondly, if a friend of mine came to me with that idea, I would tell them probably not to do it unless it was for... Um, a, a teaching tool, maybe one time, you need to be uh, very careful with that. Now, theologically, the seminary that I went to, uh, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary, that's in Pittsburgh, you know, they're so old school in their theology, one of their core beliefs is what they call the regulative principle. Right. And that's where they're going to believe that if God does not command it in Scripture, you ought not to do it. So let that sink in for a minute, because if you are going to have that as one of your cornerstones, then there's a lot of things in church, in all of our churches, that you're not going to be uh, permitted to do. So because they have that as their distinction, 
one of the things that they do is they when they sing, they have no instruments other than the human voice. And again, because one of their, their core beliefs is that um, an organ or a guitar is not commanded in Scripture. You're not ought to do it. So God is not saying to do it, so who are we to do it, especially in worship? So they sing with their voice a cappella, and then their hymn book is the Psalms. So if you take that perspective, then they're not just questioning the words to the songs, they're they're questioning to even have a, a, a hymn book that you and I would know about or even having an organ or a guitar or drums. I mean, all of that is off the table. So it depends on how far back you want to go and how theologically, quote-unquote, conservative you want to be. So, But in I think for our listeners' sake, forgetting about even the regulative principle, I would err on what I said in the, uh, the first part of my answer. I, I would not do it. Um, unless it was maybe one time teaching a lesson as a, as in a way to illustrate something, and I think you need to be very careful, especially about who the person is and the the background of the song, because if, like I said, the example was "Wind Beneath Your Wings." That's a very loving, positive. When you hear that, it's an endearing song. Um, versus a Lady Gaga song is not going to have that. Mm. So to me, it's just you're doing more. More, you could be doing more damage doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think another part of it too is you gotta you gotta know your audience. So like I'm thinking of like if you're kind of like Paul in Corinth, which was a very messed up city. If that was in like a modern era, modern day, that would be very that might be a very effective thing is to take secular music. You know what I mean? Like, it, like if you if you have a church that's primarily all new converts, and they're not they don't listen to Christian music, they don't preferably care for it. That might be a good approach, is to get them in the door. I, I I wouldn't do it for the sake that just a lot of those people just didn't grow up with that, and that be, might be too much of a shock value. Um, so I <laughs> like so the the example I always think of is the song. Uh, like pretty much any song that's about. A girl, you can t- tweak the lyrics a little bit and make it sound like it's about God. Like that was an old old youth group joke we used to always do: is is a song about God or is a song about a girl? <laughs> you know, just reading the lyrics and people are like, "Oh, it's a girl." It's like, yeah, that song's by Sanctus Real. <laughs> you know, it's about God. What was the movie with um, Whoopi Goldberg where she played a nun? Sister Act. Sister Act. They yeah. kind of they kind of did that. They did do that. that. It did. But I, like, so like I was thinking like a song like uh, I want to know what love is. That would be a song that you could you like what you're saying is a good but taking a song like uh uh what was it? I'm trying to think of a good like taking a Metallica song. <laughs> like it's only because I'm a Metallica guy. But uh what are you looking at? Um something just went off of my phone and your phone at the same time. VBS meeting tomorrow? Oh. Yeah. That was mine. Uh but no, I I get what you're saying. It's a, it's you just gotta apply apply wisdom to it. Um, so I, I I don't know that maybe that fits under a different category. What we're talking about, maybe about you know church church culture. It could be the only reason why I brought that up is because some people would say that their head is so high up in the clouds that like 
because at least when I was reading some of the comments on Facebook, a lot of people who were against the guy doing that, it was because it was like kind of what you were talking about with the regulative principle, which is uh, we, we don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says, take the culture's music and then tweak it to make it sound Christian. Um, but then again, though, I, I, I think practically throughout church history, you see a lot of church, a lot of Christians in church history not rejecting the culture, but actually redeeming the culture by taking things that the culture is doing and bringing it back to Jesus. I mean, that's kind of what Martin Luther's whole theology was. Um, Some people are so heavenly minded that they are no of no earthly good. So here's what I want to know. I want to know, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? How would you nuance it? Um, also, did you like what you've heard here? Do you agree with anything that we've said? Or would you um, disagree with anything? We're excited to get the feedback and, and hear from, from the audience. And if you have a quote of your own, something that you'd like for us to discuss, get our opinions on, you can go ahead and email to us at faithpresbychurch at gmail.com or put it down in the comment section. Whatever is easiest for you guys, we would love to hear back and uh, feedback and also get just anything for future episodes. All right, guys, have a fantastic day. I am Seth. This is Anthony K. signing off an Engaged Podcast. Have a great day.